Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Today we have up with us Alan Green. Alan's going to be discussing a number of equities and we're going to go through the key market themes as well. So Alan, thank you very much for being with us today. Hello Jonathan, good to be back. So we've got a particularly busy week uh, today uh, to discuss in markets, Alan. We, we've seen some very sharp uh, moves to the upside in uh, in global indices, and that's something that we're, we're going to touch on initially. But also there's been quite a lot going on in the corporate world with some uh, updates from FTSE 100 companies, as well as some quite interesting moves in some of the small caps. So we're going to discuss those as well. But Alan, as we... As we uh, recording this podcast, we're looking at a FTSE 100 here trading in the region of 75.80, and that represents a very sharp increase from the lows that we saw last week. Overnight, we had an instalment of earnings from Alphabet, the, the parent company of Google. Now, Google actually saw a 33% interest, um, sorry, increase in their advertising revenue, which is a huge increase. And that's caused Alphabet shares to jump 10%, a massive component of US indices. And that's causing a a wave of optimism around the world. But take things back to the FTSE 100 here, Alan. Trading at 75.80, we're we're not too far away now from the highs at around 76.20. And that would be the highest level we've seen since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, If we break that, then there's not much in the way of resistance up until we see the the all-time highs at around 7,900. I mean, given what's happening and we're starting to see a bounce back in in tech shares, I mean, if this continues with further good earnings from the technology companies, is this going to lead to an overall buy into global equities that could see us smash through that 76.20 level in the FTSE 100 in the short term? I think that's uh, a highly likely scenario, John. Uh, um, and also, uh, you know, somebody made the point uh, to me the other day that, of course, we the FTSE has been really, it's, it's massively underperformed over the past 10 to 20 years compared to um, c- compared to I- I- its counterparts. Uh, you know, the uh, the Dow, the US indices have uh, rocketed, doubled, um, well over doubled in values uh, since about, you know, the past 10 years. Um, and the FTSE really hasn't. And um, somebody said that uh, they believe that now we have broken away from Europe. That it, um, The general belief was that uh, with the with, with the, alli- with the um, alignment with Europe and uh uh, being so closely tied into the European financial infrastructure, the FTSE was never really going to, never really had a chance to um, to perform in its own rights um, uh, without being hamstrung by the European economies and, and also, of course, the weaker economies there. Now we are, you know, largely free of that. Um, they, you know, that they, they, they're looking, they're very bullish about the prospects for the FTSE. They believe the FTSE 100 is dramatically undervalued compared to its uh, its rivals and indeed that was reiterated i think by jp morgan that said uh, last week that um FTSE 100 stocks are looking very cheap at the moment so even though we're seeing uh the index starting to approach those highs um the the the, the former highs um 
I think uh, there's there is scope um, for it to go much much further. And uh, of course, you know the there are a basket of resource stocks in there that um, always do a very good job of propelling the FTSE four. There's some great technology companies in there that uh, will do the same. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty bullish about the outlook for this year. Yes, indeed. And I think we when we start to see talks around interest rates, which we have done so far, it does cause the initial jitters in markets. But if you go back and look through history in tightening cycles, we you tend to get the uh, the initial sell-off. But if you, we see an interest rate uh, cycle that, that sees higher interest rates during a period of economic expansion, that's usually good for, for stock markets. So if that continues through the rest of this year, those uh, all-time highs on the FTSE 100 could well well be in sight in the not-too-distant future. Yep. And one, Alan, now this is the first company we're going to discuss today, one of the, the components that will have to be you know, part of that rally in the, in the FTSE 100 due to its, its large uh, weighting in the index is Vodafone. And they've actually reported today shares up 3%. Mm. Uh, a fairly good set of figures there, Alan. And they said they're um, looking to be proactive around their, their portfolio of, of assets. So what's happening there? Yeah, so so as you say, John, it, it's a major constituent of the FTSE 100 Vodafone uh, Got, um, currently worth uh, 36 billion, just under 36 billion, and of course pays out a dividend yield of 5.7, uh, 5.8%. Um, we're coming up to year highs again. It was it was at um, 142 pence year high, now 132 pence off year lows. Had a really strong recovery, in fact, during uh, or since December, where it was just on those uh, year lows, in fact. Um, and it's bounced nicely off those. So great start to the year. So anyone who picked it up last uh, last last December will be uh, sitting on a on a decent gain. But certainly, um, you know, as you say, you know, in the post Brexit scenario, this is one company that could do very well. Um, uh, you know, because it can now it can now do deals um, as a UK company with with um, uh, around the world, unencumbered by perhaps some of the restrictions that uh, were placed on it by, uh, by, uh, by by Europe when we were part of the um, part of Europe. But uh, the, the results this morning show um, a 2.7 cent increase in service revenue. Um, and that, that service revenue uh, was driven by growth in Europe and, uh, and in Africa, uh, which is, which is, a, which is, you know, a, a very, a very bullish sort of, uh, scenario given that we are st- well, the, the, the revenue period was still in the middle of COVID, um, and, uh, and and there there is speculation, of course, that um, uh, Vodafone could could uh, tie up a deal with uh, the the three network um, and uh, with other providers uh, throughout the world. But it's a Leviathan, you know, it's a huge company, of course, you know, service revenue uh, for quarter three. Um, uh, quarter three announced um, 9.6, 9.64 billion euros. I mean, that's a huge amount of revenue by any standards. Um, and, uh, and and so, um, and, 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 and so I think if we look at the overall, um, the overall picture going forward, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it will continue, the company will continue to deliver growth ongoing, unencumbered as it is now, um, by the, the by, the European ties, but um, of course, a company of this size delivering 
the sort of growth investors would like to see is a task in itself. You know, it's a it's a super tanker of a stock. This it really is. So it takes a while to to turn around and to and to and and, and to make improvements and to cut costs. But nonetheless, you know, the management team are doing a good job. You know, certainly the Nick Reid, the group's chief executive, um, is uh, giving great leadership at at, at at the front there. And um, you know, he's. Um, it's also said in Outlook, the performance keeps uh, the company firmly on track to deliver results in line with the higher guidance that they uh, set out in November. So, yeah, uh, a good year in prospect for Vodafone and a good set of the numbers today and certainly justifying the the uh, the, the, the 3.5% hike we've seen in the share price this morning. Yes, indeed. And, of course, the introduction of, a, of an activist investor there uh, usually does streamline the, the business in, in some way and, and cut out some of those um, more costly operations over time as they look to uh, to thin things down and focus on the, the operations that are actually there to, to generate revenue and, and therefore profit for the business. So we obviously touched on there on a potential uh, takeover of, of three. There was some speculation last year. Uh, around this, of course, it's all, all been very hush hush since there, but there's there's surely something bubbling in the in the background. So un- unlikely that we don't hear too much uh, in in the short term, but going forward, I'm sure we hear more about that. But it, it just sort of brings up the topic, Alan, of um, takeovers and bids mm. that are happening at the moment. It seems so, so far this year there's been lots of uh, potential takeovers being. Um, spoke about, of course, there was Unilever and GSK and and the Microsoft and Activision uh, deals. Just want to touch on those quickly. Unilever and GSK, Alan, first. Uh, Unilever were looking at the GSK consumer business and uh, GSK basically came back and said, look, uh, the offer's not high enough. And, you know, Unilever said, we're not going to spend any more. I mean, do you think that deal's dead or do you think they're there could be something there that comes back to life in the not-too-distant future. No, I think that's just the opening salvo in what will be a protracted um, a protracted uh, a, a, a negotiation. Obviously, you know, the uh, the news disappointed shareholders. The the shares did, did, did fall back a bit on the news. Um, and, of course, we're trading now, um, you know, close to year lows for Unilever um, at uh, £37.50 a share. Uh, again, you know, there's um, it's a... It's a the broad spread of um, of, de- of domestic products uh, and foods um, offered by Unilever do make it a very good defensive play, but um, but certainly uh, the the uh, the opportunity to buy Glaxo's consumer healthcare business, you know, would have been a great addition to Unilever because it brings them economies of scale and an opportunity for growth. And I think investors saw that. But equally, um, a lot of um, a lot of uh, pundits in the city have been applauding Unilever's disciplined approach to this, saying that they're you know it's good that they're just not going to jump at any price. They valued the business fairly. Um, that um, at fifty billion pounds, you know, which is a huge amount of money by any standards, but they they value the business fairly. They're not going to pay any more, um, and they're going to going going to stick to their guns. And it's really a consideration now for for Glaxo. You know, the uh, Unilever have laid out their um, that they set their stall out, um, said you know that they valued it. This is what we're prepared to pay, and they're not just going to um, uh, you know come back with with a higher figure. So. Um, it may well be may well be abandoned. It may, it may not, but my my guess is it's going to be a long, drawn out, protracted pro, uh, process, and 
the sales figures for Glaxo's consumer healthcare arm, uh, and of course that includes um, that includes uh, uh, um, uh, products such as Sensodyne toothpaste and Panadol painkillers. Um, I think the market's going to be looking very closely at sales for the GSK consumer um, healthcare products uh, this year, just to see how they're doing and to see if um, if if uh, if uh, Glaxo themselves can bring bring any uplift to to overall sales. But um, yeah, it, it's going to be one to watch, and um, certainly I, I I wouldn't say that's dead by any standards. Yes. Yes, one, two, to keep an eye on. So, Alan, Microsoft and Activision. So, this deal would be the largest cash deal since the beginning of, of the pandemic at some $69 billion. But it's now under the scrutiny of the FTC. They're mm-hmm. looking at um, how that relationship between Activision and Microsoft would impact its rivals in terms of looking at the availability of other consoles, such as obviously PlayStation, of accessing games that uh, that, that are produced by Activision. I mean, this is something that we're going to have to keep a very close eye on. But I mean, going back to the, the overall strategic move by Microsoft moving into Activision and obviously games publishers, I mean, does that really for you highlight the the, the growing market of, of games? And, and is this something now that, you know, investors could be looking at other games publishers as, you know, potential stocks to buy into if they're going to be taken over by, you know, larger technology companies to integrate into their um, ecosystems. Absolutely. And I think that's the great thing about a burgeoning market, uh, you know, such as the gaming industry and esports. Um, You know, it's growing at such a rate. um, It's capturing um, investor and of course, you know um, the gamers themselves. You know that, that are in the middle of it. They're they're seeing that they see the commercial opportunities that the the this surge of interest into the sector ha- has brought. Um, and of course, that creates a, a, a number of problems. I mean, you know the the, the Microsoft Activision uh, merger is um, you know it, it's a huge deal financially. You know, getting off of seventy billion dollars. You know that's a that's a big. A big uh, merger, and obviously, it's one that's created competition concerns, which is why the Federal Trade Commission have got involved. And um, you know, they're, they're, they're certainly not a toothless organisation. They, uh, they, you know, last month um, that they, they, they voted to block the um, the proposed merger between or the proposed acquisition by Lockheed Martin of Aerojet Rocket Rocketdyne Holdings um, due to antitrust, antitrust concerns. So, so there is. You know these issues had to be looked at in detail, um, but um, you, you know I, I sense that um, I sense that this one will go through. I just think that uh, it's such a burgeoning sector. Um, you know there are companies growing so rapidly in the sector that uh, the combined entity Microsoft and Activision will just make up one part of it. So um, I think if it were if it were a, a, a bit of a closed market with a number of key players, you know, such as you know the defence uh, and arms industry, then it would be a little more difficult, uh, I think, to get through. But my sense is this will go through, um, and we may hear something about this uh, in the next few in the next few weeks. Yeah, certainly a story to keep a close eye on. So, last one we're going to touch on now, Alan, around the topic of acquisitions mergers and acquisitions is amor minerals up 10% today after what's been quite uh, 
a strong few weeks for um, you know, there's some press speculation about the uh, possible takeover of their assets there. Uh, that sort of died off in terms of the initial rally, but we're, we're back up today, Alan. So what do you think is happening there? Well, again, uh, you know, the uh, any potential takeover or interest from uh, um, fr- from a, a, a purchaser is, it's never, you know, sometimes these take place behind the scenes and the company makes the announcement and uh, the news, you know, hits the light of day then. But invariably, the process is a protracted one. It takes place over over a number of months um, as as the two sides look to find common ground. But certainly, uh, Ammo Minerals, um, it, you know, of course, it owns the the huge uh, nickel copper sulfide um, uh, uh, asset in um, the far east of Russia, uh, the Kumani license um, in the Ama province or the Ama province, um, and it's it's one of the largest undeveloped nickel sulfide. Uh, assets in the world, 155 million uh, tons of ore within four deposits, um, and it's prospective for nickel, copper, cobalt, platinum, and palladium, uh, with the, an average grade of around one percent. So it, it, it's a huge asset, um, and this has been going for years. Uh, you know, I remember sort of uh, you know Ammo Minerals uh, looking at um, uh, previous management uh, in, in in the noughties. So it's it's been around a long a long time. Um, and the company's got the right to recover all the contained metal uh, based on a 20-year production license, which expires in, in 2035. So, you know, there's um, there's plenty of time to bring the mine on stream and, and, and develop. But, of course, all of these metals are battery metals. Um, it's uh, located where it is. It's uh, close to the Chinese uh, EV manufacturing plants, Japanese and Korean. Uh, and they're going to be manufacturing a huge percentage of the world's electric vehicles so the interest in the asset doesn't surprise me at all of course um you know the company said that uh, the approach was made from um uh from uh, um uh, 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 an interested party uh, uh valuing the asset up to 100 million sterling um and of course that you know that sort of uh, prompted a, a surge in the share price since it's died back since but uh, you know it's it, I think this is going to rumble on. Of course, once deals like this get closer to completion, um, often other interested parties emerge because the there is without doubt going to be a supply squeeze, and we've discussed this many times. I know, and uh, we're going to discuss another one shortly too. And but there is going to be a supply squeeze uh, for the battery industry with these key metals. Um, the, the you know metals like nickel, metals like lithium. Uh, graphite, all the key components of batteries, um, there's going to be massive demand uh, in the coming years. And uh, there simply isn't enough being produced at the moment to satisfy that demand. So an asset like this is hugely valuable. So this could just be the opening salvo. Uh, you know, we might see somebody come in with an offer that well exceeds that. So um, if you're an ammo mineral shareholder, well done. Keep 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 hold of them. Sit on the shares. The company's got a valuation now of just forty one million, so well under the hundred million uh, offer that's been tabled. Um, so you know, um, if it goes to a hundred million, one hundred and fifty million, who knows? You know, it will be a, it will be a really really uh, a great day for uh, shareholders when that when that happens. Yes, no, it's, it, it seems as though they're they're in the midst of a of a scramble to secure deposits of battery metals. As, as you mentioned there, lithium and, and nickel and also copper 
all have forecasts for demand that are well in excess of, of current levels of supply. So naturally, that's going to lead. And it has led so far this year, if you're looking especially at the prices of, uh, of lithium and nickel, to astronomical moves to, to the upside. And until we see that supply move up to a level that can meet that future demand, um, all of these assets are going to be of great interest to uh, producers and, and obviously those companies that are, that are out there seeking the, the resources to produce the batteries. And as you did say, Adam, we are going to finish off now with a company that's very much involved uh, in, in battery metals, in particularly uh, lithium. It's actually Cadence Minerals. Now, Cadence Minerals are going to be presenting at our Metals and Mining Conference, which is coming up on the 22nd of February. So do check on the UK Investor Magazine website in the events section because you'll be able to see the events page there and get yourself signed up for it. But Cadence, and this is one we've highlighted in a selection of stocks, Alan, very recently of, of lithium shares here in London to keep an eye on. Mm. Um, not only are they looking at the uh, Cadence Minerals, not only looking at lithium, they've got a, a very strong portfolio. So what's the, the latest from them? Well, it, it, it's really interesting that we're seeing all uh, all of the different uh, elements within the Cadence portfolio really coming to the fore again. Um, you published an article, well, UK Investment Magazine published an article recently on the lithium asset, and of course, this was the lithium asset in uh, in 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 Czechoslovakia, the Sinovec mine, owned by European Metals Holdings. Um, uh, uh, Cadence, of course, has a has a stake in the mine, eight, uh, just under a nine percent stake in European Metals Holdings, um, and uh, uh, European Metals Holdings announced that uh, the project net present value (NPV8) post tax had increased from one point one billion dollars to one just under two billion dollars which is a huge jump um and that was what that valuation is based on lithium prices of seventeen thousand dollars a ton significantly below the current market price and what where we believe that price is going to go um and you made an interesting point you know with that valuation um cadence stake is worth 12.4 million and cadence's market capitalization at the moment um is is just uh, 38 million so the, it, it leaves a very small amount of money to attribute to the rest of the assets. And of course, the flagship asset, as we know, is the Amapra iron ore mine. Um, I won't go into details on that today, but that in itself is Cadence has 20% of an asset that was valued by Anglo-American at $600 million in 2012. They're about to go up to 27%, and then they have the first right of refusal to go to 49%. You then add in the hard rock lithium assets in Australia. You then add in the uh, the, um, the stake at the megalith and mexalit uh, um, assets at the Sonora Lithium Project in Mexico. And then today, there's an article in the Financial Times about the Yanjibana Rare Earths Project in Australia. And here, um, the, the, uh, there's a very good map, actually, that Cadence have, which actually uh, shows the size and the scale of the Yanjibana uh, project. Um, it's in the Gascoigne region of Western Australia, and Cadence have a 30% stake in part of that project, which is the um, which is the Yanjibana North um, area. Um, now, this hasn't currently been bought into the um, NPV numbers at Yanjibana yet, but um, as, it, as, as the project develops and as the asset infrastructure is is developed that will that will obviously uh, 
become a significant factor in it. Um, and uh, the, the news today in the FT is that uh, the Australian government has um, backed, uh, of course, uh, the Yanjibana Rare Earths Mine. Um, uh, it agreed a, a, a $140 million uh, uh, Australian dollar project financing loan to the Yanjibana Rare Earths Project, um, which is... Uh, to, to Hastings Technology Metals and Hastings, of course, is looking to raise 400 million Australian dollars uh, in debt finance for the project uh, to, to bring this online. And of course, what that will do, it will it will serve to break China's dominance of the rare earth metals sector, which is hugely important. And it, uh, you know, I think um, I think projects like this, uh, you know, whilst they have the, the valuations they have at the moment, I think in a few years' time they're going to be valued at many times more. Than, than the levels that, that, that we're seeing. Um, so from Cadence's standpoint, it has all of the, the, the stakes in the assets that it has are all starting to really emerge as significant uh, as, as assets that really have great valuation at the moment, but are still significantly undervalued given the scenario and the supply squeeze that we're expecting to see. And of course, the great thing about the, the Gascoin project um, and the Anjibar Rose project is it will break will serve to break uh, some of China's dominance in the rare earth uh, sector. So, I mean, when, when we're looking at the, these battery metals, Adam, is there anyone from, from your research which is really standing out? Because, you know, th- th- there is this element of, of putting them all into one basket and calling them um, battery metals. But as we've seen in the prices of these metals this year, there, there is a disparity in terms of how much they're moving. I mean, if you if you had to make yourself overweight in, in any one of these battery metals like lithium nickel uh graphite uh, copper i mean is there anyone that that sort of stands out for you which is particularly taking your interest at the moment well i think i think lithium cobalt nickel um copper um uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know my my portfolio basket represents all of those um and i'm quite happy with that exposure even though as we know john um you know the, the valuation of some of these companies at the moment is ridiculously low, and I'm fully expecting um, a, 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 a recovery to kick in at some point. And I believe once that supply squeeze starts to manifest itself, you know, on the world stage, and uh, you know, there was a I, I've used this quote many times, but I think it really serves to highlight uh, where we're going. Um, Elon Musk and Tesla. Uh, Elon forecast um, or was making forecasts that he wants to ramp production of Tesla cars up to 20 million. And of course, Tesla is a small factory when you compare it to the likes of Ford, BMW, Toyota and all the rest of it. But he wants to ramp up production of um, Tesla cars to 20 million. If he does that, he will hoover up, Tesla alone will hoover up 30% of global nickel production outright. You know, that's it global nickel production for one year, 30% of it goes to Tesla. So you get some idea of where we're heading. You know, once the once all the manufacturers are starting to ramp up production to those sort of levels, and, you know, that's before you get to some of the huge Korean and uh, Chinese uh, manufacturers uh, coming on stream too, there is going to be a huge shortage. So the, the net result is that the price per tonne of these metals, lithium, copper, cobalt, nickel, they're going to go through the roof. Yes, indeed. And we're starting to see that so far this year, Alan. So 
For listeners that want to know more about Cadence Minerals, uh, as I said uh, at the beginning before we started to speak about them, do check out the UK Investor Magazine website and our event section because they're going to be giving an investor presentation on the 22nd of February. So do get yourself signed up for that. So uh, just a recap there of the equities we discussed today. So we start off with Vodafone with the ticket of VOD. It was then Amo Minerals that trades on the ticket of AMC. And just then was Cadence Minerals trading under the ticket of KDNC. Alan, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.